is brought to you by We Undies. No, we're not that other company. We Undies is taking the sizzling hot ride sharing concept and applying it to the underpants market. With the We Undies app, you can simply request a pair of boxers, panties, or tidy whities from someone in your area. Then, when you're done, put them right back on the app for someone else to enjoy. We Undies. It's like Uber or Lyft for your naughty bits. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, he is a writer, a human rights activist, a freelance journalist, and world-renowned ferret catcher. Corey Hill, thank you for being with me, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, by the way, the ferret catcher part uh, is new for people who don't know Corey. He, uh, he just, he's, a, he's a Florida man now, so I don't know if that comes with... Like, do they... Like, how is it, by the way? I mean, we'll get to some. Uh, we've got a lot to get to, uh, politics-wise and news-wise. But you, you moved actually from the Bay Area, which is where I'm at, to to Florida. Like, how? Like, when you arrive in the Sunshine State, do they just give you a handgun? Like, what? How is that? Uh, they give you a handgun and uh, five alligator pelts, actually, <laughs> and then tell you to go nuts. So I, I felt pretty warmly welcomed. <laughs> Um, you haven't seen any gators, right? Like you, we, we were talking before, but you haven't seen any alligators since moving back, like come up like in your yard or anything. Not in my yard. I saw one dead on the road and then I saw one swimming in the lake by the highway, but that's the total <laughs> of my giant reptile encounters. That's very normal. I feel like, I feel like the next thing you're going to see one in an above ground pool somewhere. Like that's, yes. that's probably the next thing. Um, or getting thrown through a drive-thru at Wendy's, as frequently happens. <laughs> Check your Reddit feeds, people. Check your Reddit <laughs> feeds. Um, well, you, you you being in Florida, me being in California, we're, we're part of the the small percentage of the country that didn't face freezing conditions. I think it was 80% of the country this week faced freezing conditions. Um, so my first question to you is, like, when the president tweets about bringing back old-fashioned global warming like it's some sort of like bygone fashion trend like why is he wrong <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean come on it, <laughs> it seems to make yeah. sense i mean sometimes it's hard to not view some of what he's doing as this like long-term andy kaufman-esque experiment <laughs> because it boggles my mind that somebody could not be intentionally obtuse on the difference between, uh, you know, climate and weather. Right. Um, you know, climate being overall long-term trends and weather being the fact that uh, it's hot one day. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't limited to Trump either, which is kind of fascinating. I mean, you saw these same sorts of things echoed across uh, kind of the right-wing blogosphere and Twitter and, and on Fox News um, of, you know, it's so cold now. What about that? global warming or you know how are the people going to use uh, you know their solar power to stay warm in these freezing temperatures so i i think that it kind of speaks to more broadly either they pretend like they don't understand or they really don't but you know the the distinction is sort of meaningless for the rest of us trump uh, you know like everyone else on the right kind of dismisses uh what the consensus in the scientific community is that this is the you know single largest threat that we face as a species. Um, and he's kind of making these glib comments, 
you know, it's alarming. It would be funny if it weren't, you know, me, you, my children, everyone else facing uh, a grim future. Um, but the difference, the difference is, yes, it can be historically cold. Uh, the term is climate change, not global warming anymore. Right. And the, the planet's getting hotter. Every single year has been the hottest year on record for, you know, the last 20 or so odd years. Uh, We're so number one. We're number one. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. No, it, it is, like you said, it's, it's, it's becoming like gallows humor at this point because it is um, such a threat. And, and that kind of leads me to my next question. So um, there's been a, a Green New Deal proposed um, by the sort of one of the stars of the 2019 midterms on the Democratic side, Democrat from uh, New York, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, as yep. the kids call her. Um, that's big time when you have your own acronym nickname, I feel like. But um, what is it, like, what is the, the, for those who don't know, what is the idea in, what does the Green New Deal encompass as a, as a proposal? Sure. Um, and I think, interestingly, the, the full contours of it haven't been spelled out explicitly. Um, but, you know, AOC and the, other, and the other folks who are, you know, there's over 200 uh, Dems who had thrown their sort uh, support behind this are referencing uh, you know the original New Deal, which was uh, massive government expenditure to uh, overhaul the economy, pulls out of a slump, uh, give folks full employment, and uh, you know transform what we thought of as the relationship between uh, you know social safety net and and you know members of the society, etc. Uh, it's important, obviously, to kind of reference what we spoke about previously. Scientists basically say we have 10 to 12 years to completely change the way we uh, consume energy and, and produce. Uh, otherwise, we're cooked. Uh, and so the time frame that's been hinted at in this Green New Deal is, you know, 10 years from now, we will move completely away from fossil fuels um, and ideally wrapped up in that would be some sort of change to you know our agricultural practices which um you know are a huge contributor as well and i think it's uh important that you understand the kind of magnitude of what that would require uh and why we're talking about things like a 70 percent marginal tax rate it is feasible but it would require the kind of mass uh mobilization that you saw in times like the original New Deal or, you know, the mobilization for World War One or World War Two, It has to be that level of buy-in and uh, massive shift. Otherwise, it won't really be enough. Mm-hmm. By the way, you used the word cooked in a way too casual. <laughs> we will be cooked. Yes. Um, but w- w- <laughs> as, as bats are falling, uh, falling dead from the trees in Australia right now, uh, it was meant... Uh, literally, yeah. although he's somewhat cavalierly. <laughs> uh, well, t- to that point about feasibility, I mean, is it is part of it though to get to just get the conversation moving in a certain direction? Obviously, like uh, you know, I think you make a great point, which is that you can't sort of half-ass climate change, right? In in, in moving towards actually. Um, bringing down carbon carbon emissions but at the same time when you have a, a republican party that is dragging their feet so much and, and you could argue even democrats and in, in some ways aren't there, there are many of them that aren't 
and haven't done enough um, to, to, to really to, to curb carbon emissions is the idea of the Green New Deal to sort of just push people in a direction in a pretty uh, in a pretty overt way. And hopefully that will, you know, that momentum will, will at least lead to uh, solutions in the near future and, and then eventually get us there, whether it's in 2020 or 2021, when hopefully we have a, a, a new president in, in place. Yeah, and I, and I think to um, AOC's credit, one of the things that she has done admirably since day one, since even before she took office, was opening up uh, the window in terms of what what we consider part of the conversation or uh, allowing ourselves to imagine something um, beyond the sort of narrow uh, scope of, you know, quote unquote, uh, reasonable debate. You know, why is it acceptable um, that we have, you know, 26 people who control as much wealth as uh, a few billion people on the planet, right? Those sorts of things to question the things that we uh, kind of take as givens. And I think that, you know, with with climate change, it will require that level of imagination. And I think that what we're starting to finally see from, um, you know, the Democratic Party and, and where they're shifting is let's not start out with uh, the watered down version of an idea because it's already going to get um, shot down by the right, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So let's start with our with our big bold ideas. Let's let's change, you know, what we take as givens. Uh, and as kind of a uh, you know a side bonus, it just so happens that these kinds of policies are very widely popular when you sort of decouple them from uh, you know party affiliation. You know. Uh, things like a Green New Deal or something like, you know, Medicare for All poll. Medicare for All polls at seventy percent. Right. Uh, these ideas are hugely popular. Thanks, Obama. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're they're popular because you know, shockingly, people don't think the rich should have everything. They think we should have clean air. They think we should have good education. Uh, so why not put those ideas front and center and not, you know, beat around the bush about what what you stand for? Right. It seems like the. And I mean, Trump, although disingenuously, uh, basically ran on uh, kind of the, at least his his narrative was along the same lines of of you know for the people, you know, like blue collar jobs, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it seems like there's a narrowing there's a narrowing audience for for the Paul Ryan, uh, the Paul Ryans of the world, I guess, who who think that yeah. you should just you know fuck everybody and uh, unless you're rich. Yeah, I mean, I think people are rightly, people rightly sense that they're being uh, exploited, yeah. uh, whether they have, uh, the, you know, the analysis that points the finger in the right direction as to who's the one doing it to them is a, is a whole other issue for a, a much longer discussion. But people feel it in their gut, uh, and if if you don't provide policies that uh, are not exploitative, uh, somebody like a Trump can come along uh, and take advantage of that i mean it's you know trump's sort of symptomatic it's not uh as if he exists in a vacuum today's podcast is brought to you by the border wall i'm going to put all the other walls to shame berlin wall 
Thank you. Next. Great Wall of China? Might as well be a long box of tissues. The Wall in the Lord of the Rings movies? There was a wall in those, right? Nah, doesn't matter. Border Wall will crush them all. Trust me, it's going to be huge. <laughs> Just as far as the legislation goes in that, you know, now that the Democrats have the House, do you think that they will be able to pass and work with Republicans in the Senate and and Trump to pass any sort of meaningful legislation? Uh, and, and also the oversight question, like, will we ever see Trump's tax returns and or the P-tape? <laughs> so I'll tackle, the, I'll tackle the former first, I think. I think it's unlikely that we will see the sorts of sweeping uh, changes we will need. I mean, so there's a bill introduced that would have, uh, you know, made election day a holiday. It's in this kind of bundle of things that anyone could could see very clearly were designed to make our democracy more accessible. And Mitch, Mitch McConnell called it a power grab, right? <laughs> so, I, you know, obviously tells you where their line of thinking is in regards to how they maintain mm-hmm. their uh, their hold on power. But yeah. I think that also speaks to what is likely in the realm of passing legislation uh, while the you know nihilist death cult Republican Party still controls the Senate. Right. But there is very important oversight uh, capacity in the House. And you already see them making... Uh, completely different set of moves than the Republicans made when they controlled that chamber in regards to, uh, you know, testimony that had already been given uh, in regards to uh, collusion conspiracy with Russia, Um, you know, turning over transcripts to the Mueller investigation that prior, prior to the Democrats controlling the house, basically they had been running the, you know, intelligence as, an interference organization uh, operation to, you know, Nunez kind of shuttling back in the the dead of night to, to make his, <laughs> you know, plays to make it seem like something nefarious was afoot. It's, you know, again, fairly comical if you if you were viewing it, uh, you know, this is an episode of Veep or something, right. but not when you realize that this is uh, the president of the United States potentially being, you know, compromised by a hostile foreign power, and then you have members of uh, the legislative body doing everything in power to impede our understanding of this. It's mm-hmm. pretty galling and shocking, really. Do you do you do you see as far as Mueller goes, do you see any sort of uh, any more indictments coming that way or or now that it it turns out that Don Jr didn't call his dad after the Trump Tower meeting with the Russians, you know, nothing else to see here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh he calls. He, he didn't even call it like a pizza place, but he called. <laughs> he obviously was very interested. I mean, I think not to get too into the nitty gritty because you could spend four hours talking about this and still barely scratch the surface. Yeah. Uh, if you have been following this closely, uh, it's in, it seems impossible to me that there is a benign explanation for the behavior of these parties involved. And it's also very clear from some sorts of the glimmers of, of stuff that we've seen that what has been uh, publicly presented to the American people is a tiny percentage of 
what the investigation has uncovered. I mean, Flynn has been cooperating uh, for, uh, you know, since 2016. Right. And we have no idea. Gates has been cooperating. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, electronic uh, signals communications that have been scooped up. But, you know, for, for a fact, we know that, you know, Donald Trump Jr. lied to Congress. We know that Eric Prince, uh, the of you know Blackwater fame and informal Trump advisor fame, uh, lied to Congress. Uh, Kushner, same deal. So it seems to me that if we're seeing folks, uh, you know, getting leaned on and uh, indicted for these types of lies, uh, all you know, central to our understanding of what really happened. Uh, how would they not then face the same consequences? I think there's probably some sort of calculation on the part of the investigators of they're under unusual pressure and that the target of their investigation also has the constitutional authority to fire them. Um, (laughs) But I think at some point you're going to see all those folks um, indicted. I think it remains to be seen what will happen with Trump, whether he'll be indicted while in office or named as an unindicted co-conspirator, but it, it belies any sort of reason that all this was happening and the person who was benefiting from it and who repeatedly lied about things like Trump Tower, uh, you know, didn't have any knowledge of these, uh, yeah. you know, ongoing communications. That's almost impossible. Right. Right. Um, curious, like what, when, when, you know, we were talking about a little bit legislation and everything, um, in, in the house, what, what may come of that? What, what do you see as a bigger issue? Like the policy decisions that Trump uh, has made or, or could make uh, over the next couple of years that he's still in office or the impact of, of tearing down political institutions? Like when, we, when, when Trump is all said and done, uh, God willing, in 2020, like will we look back at, at the Trump presidency and be like, man, like we, we just think of the press in a completely different way or will it be actual policy stuff like the climate change, you know, like not doing anything on climate change and actually pulling out of the Paris uh, Accord. Like, is that, where do you see the the biggest harmful impact coming from this presidency? Yeah, I feel like this is the, like, you know, what's worse, the herpes or the syphilis kind of question. <laughs> I, mean, I think, uh, <laughs> I think I'll just say think, both, okay? Yeah. Exactly. All right, not I that it, I know. Yeah. But it, there's I mean, a, I think it's yeah. the... Both can be treated. The long-term damage that has has been done to how the the stead the steadfast Trump group, which is you know they keep saying it's historically low um, public support, but thirty five percent of the country of uh, three hundred million is a significant number of people who have now been uh, basically inculcated from reality that. Uh, what Trump says is true, regardless of what you can see with your own eyes. Um, you know, these institutions are um, lying to you. There's a deep state out to get him, blah, blah, blah. So Trump, Trump won't be in office forever. I don't think he's even going to make it to 2020, but I don't think that that will in any way, shape, or form instantly change these sorts of long-term damages that have been done uh, as much as some of the policy stuff will be somewhat easier to overturn, depending on uh, you know who gets into office, some of the other pieces of 
you know, appointing somebody to the Supreme Court or the just rapid fire um, stacking of all of these lower courts with basically, you know, right wing nut jobs. Yeah. Unless there's some sort of annulment of the entire Trump presidency, those folks are going to be around forever. They're there till they, you know, die of uh, heart disease. Mm-hmm. So that that I think will be sort of his, you know, left behind uh, force, regardless <laughs> of whether we can overturn the policies and the the poisoning of vast segments of the American population, I don't think will be easy to un- undo instantly either. Mm-hmm. Brett Kavanaugh will be Trump's crop dusting, is what you're telling me here. That's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, what I'm sort of curious about is if the results of the you know, Mueller investigation do show what I think they show, which is that you know this president achieved office through uh, criminal conspiracy, do his appointments get to stick around, etc.? So we don't really have a mechanism to address having a you know a fraudulent president. We can right. you know impeach them, but that I don't think would be sufficient if his entire presidency is tainted by fraud to just remove one person. All of the appointees should go as well, but we don't have a way to do that. You don't think he makes it to twenty twenty, Trump? I find it highly unlikely. You think he gets impeached and and the the, I think, the Republicans go along with it in the, in the Senate or enough? I think that the folks who are poo pooing the you know the SDNY investigations or I think he's under thirteen separate criminal investigations, <laughs> um, you know some of which are housed under Mueller, some of which aren't. Yeah, it's impossible to me that this person who is clearly engaged in uh you know fraud as his primary business model for the better part of the last 30 years Mm -hmm. uh will be able to escape from that level of scrutiny and i think that there will come a point where even republicans will have to sort of flip their switch of do we want to survive as a party or do we want to become solely the party of these um you know basically unable to ever gain the presidency at a you know at any any stretch of the imagination because we're just catering to um you know the clan right i think that that moment's gonna come right i'm curious to see how far the republicans will take it because if it were if it were me i would have kind of ditched trump a long time ago but it is fascinating it, it is fascinating like what is what is their like what is the republican business model going forward right like because they don't you know is it to make sure that you can't vote, you know, because it, it, it sure as hell seems like okay. the country's, yeah, I mean, the, the country's, you know, becoming more diverse. Like, how do you, their policies are clearly not in, in line with that, whether it's uh, like the Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell model or, or the Trump model. It doesn't seem to really, you know, for now, like you can sort of paper, you know, you can, you can glue it together, but it just, over the next, over the course of the next 20, 40, 50 years, it, it seems like, um, you know, but who knows? I guess if 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 the the world doesn't exist, then I guess they uh, they don't have much to worry about. Um, exactly. <laughs> it's a very uplifting <laughs> podcast right now. Today's podcast is brought to you by the government shutdown. Hey, Rihanna. No, we won't work, 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 work.
Sorry, Huey Lewis in the news. We aren't working for a living. Maybe you work hard for the money, Donna Summer. Not us. We don't want to work. We just want to bang on the drum all day. The government shut down. We've got a lot of time on our hands. Let's, let's get a little more positive, though. Uh, who excites you among the 2020 candidates? So I guess we'll just talk people who have officially announced. Uh, or I mean, or maybe maybe going on Oprah soon yeah. to announce. So, I mean, to be completely honest, of even the folks who have announced now, I feel that the, po- the stated policies of basically the entire field represent such a more, you know, a more exciting vision of what the Democratic Party can be than what what they've done for the last few election cycles. So that makes me happy. Just to see, you know, Kamala Harris running on healthcare for everyone, uh, you know, Cory Booker who announced earlier today. Uh, I think that of the folks who are official at this point, I lean towards Elizabeth Warren solely because I think that there is she's she's not necessarily as dynamic a speaker. Uh, as some of these other folks, or, you know, you're going to watch something and, and get the goosebumps like you would have gotten from, um, you know, Cory Booker or something like that. But she very much works towards her stated aims, uh, kind of, you know, nose to the ground frequently on the injustices of our economic system. Um, no, she's not a, like an out and out. Let's uh, you know seize the means of production leftist, but she is saying, look, we have a we have an economic system that's uh, that's exploitative, that's not working. She was behind the you know Consumer Financial Bureau and, and made that a reality. And I think to have this um, earnest uh, kind of dedication to those things is is refreshing to me. And I think it's it's not about um, you know, the showmanship of it in, in her case, as much as it is, these are the kind of well thought out adjustments we need to make, um, to this current system. Uh, I would personally go further left than, than any of their analyses of what the problem is, but to even have someone say, look, it's morally unjust that we have billionaires when people don't have enough to eat, uh, I think is starting in the right direction. What do you think about uh, another person who's who's caught some prominence, uh, who announced right out here and literally across the street from where I live, and yet I I did not I was not there. Uh, Twenty thousand person rally. That's right, uh, Camila, as Trump says, but Kamala Harris, whatever Kamala Harris, sorry. Kamala. Kamala. Like Kamala, and then Ka- <laughs> someone recently. There we go, um, Kamala Harris. What do you what do you what do you think about her? Again, I mean, I think that to have somebody who is one of their, uh, you know, the, apparently her CNN talk, town hall was the most watched they've ever had, side note, uh, oh. you know, in one of her first big... That's all because of Jake know, Tapper, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> one of her first, you know, public, public forums to put, um, you know, what until recently was considered, uh, you know, a... An unworkable idea uh, among the sober thinkers of the you know centrist uh, mold. Uh, Medicare for all, abolishing private health care, and really saying just how uh, crass and exploitative our current system is is uh, 
you know, it's pretty incredible. And I, uh, you know, I'm not some of the foreign policy stuff. Um, you know, she can, she can fall outside of what I feel comfortable with in, in regards to, um, you know, Israel, Palestine, etc. But I think, uh, at least in terms of the, the talking points set out, you're always going to, um, you know, move a little bit on what your positions are once you get in office and, and those sorts of compromises take place. But to, to start from a place of, you know, here's a bigger vision, uh, I can, I can get behind, uh, anyone who's tackling healthcare, uh, as a first order of business. Um, so exciting in that regard. I, uh, I've got to have you back when, once the, the field finally, once, once all 112 candidates, uh, get in there and we, we, exactly. we settle on that. Cause I, I, I will, is it web? I want web to come back and tell the story <laughs> of, uh, shooting the anime. I remember that guy. I, I don't, I don't know if he remembers himself, but I, I think web, web and O'Malley. <laughs> They should, they should just why not? <laughs> well, I mean, you got you got the lady from Hawaii, uh, Julian Castro's oh, in there. Gabbard. Yeah, yeah. Tulsi Gabbard. You, you know, uh, but I'm ex- I'm I'm interested to see what happens when Biden gets if he does make that announcement. If Beto goes and makes his announcement, who knows? Andrew Gillum, um, Stacey Abrams. I think it's it is exciting to your point to to be able to just have competition and have good competition. You know, for for you and I, who I think are, are you know pretty progressive people in general, um, to be able to have to th- really think through who we like. <laughs> you know, to yeah. actually have to have have to challenge ourselves and and, and challenge and, and dig into. Um, you know, thorough. Po- I mean, you you do that anyway. I more I just kind of you know Wikipedia page them, but. Um, whoever, whoever's name shows up first alphabetically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that that's <laughs> which well, honestly is like a significant factor in local. Elections. Well, that's why I'm hoping Michael Avenatti doesn't put his name in the hat again. Like he said, he's pulled out. But <laughs> like, by the way, literally just the first name I saw. It's like Avenatti. Avenatti, by the way, I think we can all agree he's like the Chumbawamba of the Democrats. Like he was, yeah. he was. What happened to him? Is he? Did he die? Well, I think that's. Although, as a side note to delve into uh, Chumbawamba deep cuts, uh, <laughs> to Chumbawamba's credit, they were apparently a, like a very like anarchist, anti-capitalist band, and they made that song, I guess, as sort of a lark. Uh, oh. So maybe, maybe, maybe they, they deserve more credit. You come, here to, you come here to hear a little bit of 2020 analysis, you get... You get some some uh, some nuggets about Chumbawamba and their history. That's that's. This, this is not in as a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> um, does Howard Schultz does he uh, running as an, like? Do you think he actually will declare his ind- independent run? Like he sucks, but like, what do you think of what do you think of him? There's a decent chance he's going to realize that people think he sucks and that he doesn't want to waste the money that he earned from selling milkshakes to people at eight in the morning. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he just, I I think, I think it's not necessarily a given that the kinds of folks who he would siphon off would necessarily be a Democrat. Like there's no way in hell someone like me would vote for him. Whereas I could certainly see some of the, 
suburban Trump is a great businessman. This country needs to be run like a business, uh, like dudes who wear khakis all the time kind of people would would get, you know, as worked up about him as they do about like mayonnaise on a turkey sandwich. Right. Like uh and <laughs> the reason he's not running as a Democrat is because he knows he couldn't win in the primary, so he's just trying to subvert the process, right? Well, yeah, and, and I don't I, I honestly don't know if he's I mean, I'm sure he's smart, but like I don't understand he hasn't laid out any sort of platform. Apparently he he disagrees with Trump on everything, but will somehow galvanize like the I mean I I just don't understand any like what he's trying to do. I mean, and then he does this thing like it's it's not about me, it's about you and then he's got like his logo is his name over his name. You know, like yep. I, like oh, what yeah. is he I, I don't I, I don't get I think, it. I think he and his his ilk, some of the some of their class are so clueless as to not understand uh, the sound of the pitchfork being sharpened beneath them. <laughs> but he, I think he is seeing the Democratic Party at least uh, making noise about the 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 immorality of this economic inequality and saying, "Well, I'm the dude that they want to take." You know, this money from, right? And yeah. I think that you see that from him and you see that from the kind of conversations that just happened at Davos where the people were kind of laughing at this idea of a 70% marginal tax rate. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it could be very interesting what might happen if some, if somebody like Schultz run, ran. Because I, I, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily the spoiler of the Democrats that uh, all the Democrats are sort of lamenting interesting that's a that's a, that's a hot not take that right wanted, there not that i wanted to run yeah. <laughs> 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 that's a hot coffee take right today's podcast is brought to you by tiki torches has uh has enough time passed yet spring what okay i'm gonna i'm gonna lastly i want to ask you something that i think is a i think it's actually a really big challenge in general which is to describe uh a situation happening in a country or countries which most Americans couldn't pick out on a map. And I don't say that, Correct. I don't say that like to be a, to be an asshole. I just, to, to people listening, but like I, I do say like a lot of these Yemen, Syria, Venezuela, talk about those situations and, and like why, I guess what's going on in the, in, in those countries and why, um, what's our involvement currently? Sure, and I'll start like uh, very high altitude and then go in. Um, you know, it's very difficult to get people to care about things in general. Having worked in advocacy for <laughs> the better part of the last decade and and all that, um, but there's also this sorting phenomenon that happens sort of before the story gets to you of um, what's considered a what's considered a worthy life or what's con- you know who's considered a full human. Uh, and that that happens for all sorts of these different, um, 
you know, filtering mechanisms, but you can clearly see that in these stories about, uh, you know, Yemen, for example, um, on a gut level, uh, the, the starving children, the children whose you know, bus was targeted uh, and destroyed by uh, U.S. munitions, um, you know, kind of vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia and Yemen, they don't, they don't count, right? They don't, they don't count the same way um, that like a white woman who's kidnapped counts. Um, and I, and I think that that sort of sorting process of who's considered worthy uh, really colors all these conversations. There's obviously, um, you know, limited time available to process anything, et cetera. So, you know, in Yemen, 80,000 people have starved to death, for example, 14 million people, you know, are at danger of uh, starving. That's a that's a staggering number, and it gets to be one of those numbers that you know they just your brain starts to shut off unless yeah. you have this uh, you know nearly unlimited capacity for sympathy. Uh, and you know in Venezuela, it's the same sort of thing. If you don't if you don't have a depth of understanding of the the politics of you know Chavez, who was who was there before Maduro. Um, you can look at something, a statement put out, um, you know, hey, this is the will of the people, and you'll see some people on Twitter, you know, talking about how much they don't like Maduro, who's the, you know, the current um, leader. Uh, but it's it's difficult to distill the complexity of it down to, to something like that. Maduro isn't great. The country isn't necessarily in great shape. But, uh, you know, installing a right-wing dictator uh, who wasn't elected is also not an ideal solution. And I think when you kind of try and make it down to like, well, if you don't want this, that means you think this person is perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, You really lose the ability to have any real understanding of, um, you know, what, what our choices are, what our kind of moral obligation is in this scenario. It's not, um, our options are do nothing or support, uh, you know, what will likely end up being a pretty murderous dictatorship. Oh man, we, I, I could, I could keep talking to you for a long time about all this stuff. Um, but, um, but, but then it would just be you, but, but then, then I could just slowly watch when people sort of drop off and it's just, uh, yeah, the, the, the guy who wanted to hear more about Chumbawamba, please, uh, <laughs> <laughs> please set aside some time for, for that. Corey, Corey, topics. Corey could do a whole pod. Maybe that's the whole podcast next time. You and I'll just sit down and talk about, uh, nineties rock bands. Um, we could we could we call pissing the night away. Yeah. <laughs> Less than, I would have to bring up Les and Jake. They were very uh they're very I saw them. They played uh they were like when I first went to college, they played one of those whatever free concerts that they're always giving you. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're like they're big in Florida, I think. Um Yes. I'm not so sure that people outside of that narrow field are as aware of them. That's what I've been telling people out here about uh, Jimmy Buffett and Dave Matthews. Um, like, guys, I'm telling you, it's cool. Um, <laughs> they don't, I don't think they feel the same, but fuck them. I'm glad to hear that you're out there evangelizing for uh, Johnny <laughs> Questings for sellouts. <laughs> I've got my Dancing Nancy sticker on the back of my Jeep Liberty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Corey. I really appreciate it. Um, it was it was great to talk to with you. Um, very entertaining, very informative. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Hope to uh, have a great rest of your day.
Thanks to Corey Hill for being my guest. I thoroughly enjoyed talking about uh, Chumbawamba. I had no idea. I had no idea that that Chumbawamba was such a a political band. I had no idea. I also, I mean, I knew that Less Than Jake was a pretty political band, but I had no idea that that uh, Corey went to a concert in college. I actually went to. I didn't attend a lot of concerts ever really but in college uh, I only attended I think one it was a Jimmy Eat World concert at the on the Florida State campus and I was arrested for crowd surfing so anyway uh, I always learn a lot talking to Corey and and always enjoy his insight he's a he's a very funny guy as well um, if you guys enjoyed the podcast please share it retweet it like it listen to it write a review on iTunes and um, get a tattoo of the Justin News podcast, maybe like a lower back, like a tramp stamp. That would be awesome. Uh, thanks again. Next week, uh, we've got uh, Noel uh, Kassler, a very funny comedian who is going to be uh, talking about his relationship with Donald Trump. He worked on The Apprentice, um, as well as his tweets that have gone viral, like uh, the one about how Donald Trump uh, should understand climate change by relating it to Russian prostitutes peeing on him. That's going to be a good one. Talk to you then. Bye.